This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Super Bowl hangover edition. This is the midweek episode after Sunday's Super Bowl. We had your recap, all your action there. Thomas Dimitrov, former GM of the Atlanta Falcons, now the CEO of Sumer Sports, joins for an off-season preview. Uh, we banked this shortly before the Super Bowl um, just to get it get it going. Um, nothing changed from the game, um, but I, this was this was awesome. Um, and, and there's a part in this about teams just trying to get to nine wins for, for coaches to save their jobs that I think is, tr is as true and insightful as anything we've had on this podcast. So enjoy this segment. Um, back to, there's only two episodes this week, back to regular schedule next week. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas Dimitrov. Thomas Dimitrov is here, CEO of Sumer Sports, former general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, one of our favorite guests. What's going on, brother? I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad that you took the time to spend time with me. That's a good deal, man. I mean, I, you're one of our favorites. You've been on the show before. We've known each other for a long time. Well, I, and I expected, I didn't know if you're going to have another you know, co-host here because every time I get on, you have someone there and there's always fun. Where you are right now, I love talking business. I love talking data. I love talking... There's a lot of stuff going on in this league, man. That Dude, needs there's to be a lot. About. There's a lot. Yeah. So we're going to start here. Dan Quinn hire guy you know very well, defensive head coach. There's a lot to get into about what the hire sort of signifies, and we're doing a kind of an offseason preview here. Um, but a defensive head coach in this era, I think, can work. If it's the right kind of defensive coach, if it's the right kind of infrastructure, sounds like, and talking to some of the people in D.C. earlier uh, in Super Bowl week, that – they kind of want to make it the Adam Peters show and have a coach who kind of flows from that. We can sort of get into what that looks like. But the Dan Quinn hire to you signifies what, Thomas? Honestly, it's, it's you have Adam Peters, who's a first-time general manager. And normally what you want there is you want, you know, you've had a lot of years. I mean, Adam's worked his way to get to that spot. The last thing you want is someone coming in there that's going to be a heavy-handed guy. Right. So, okay, they start talking about Ben Johnson. He doesn't come. I'm so happy he doesn't. For, the, for this reason, because I think you look at a guy like Dan Quinn, who has experience, but he's such a collaborative guy, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's amazing in my mind that you can have a guy like Dan Quinn coming in, who was a former head coach, who helps Adam along the way in certain ways. He's also a big believer in, in personnel. He loves evaluating talent. Dan Quinn, in a good way, not in a heavy-handed and thinks he knows it all. He understands and is... Is, has a passion for evaluating talent. Yeah. So I think that's a great thing for a guy like Adam who grew up like I did in the business, worked his way up to that spot finally. I think it's a no-brainer to be honestly. I think Dan along the way has learned a lot and will adjust nuances, you know, different elements to his approach to being a head coach. And I think Adam Peters and that organization is going to reap the benefits of Dan's knowledge and awareness. For someone who doesn't know, for someone who hasn't been in a draft room with him or just watching third downs with him, what is Dan Quinn's best attribute? Like, if you're going to say this is the one thing either I learned from Dan Quinn or that um, that he did better than anybody you've ever been around, what, what, what is that? Look, there's not been a better, more authentic player, coach type sure. of guy. So what he is is he's aggressive and tough, look you in the eye, but he combines a really cool, empathic element to yeah. him. That is today's world, right? right. You can have a tough-ass guy who's a pain in everyone's butt and people don't want to bond with him. I don't know how many times I had players come into me, hey, if you're going to cut me or, or you're thinking about cutting me or you're thinking about you know, lowering my salary, lower my salary. I want to stay here and play mm. for Dan Quinn. Not because he was soft at all, right. but because he, made, he brought the best out of those players in my mind. That's it's, it's funny because the player-coach thing, anybody can say they're a player-coach. You go, oh, yeah, I really relate to players. I really relate to the locker room. No. 
players, and I always think about this with Dan Campbell because Aaron Glenn said this during his first training camp, and I, and I think about it all the time. He said, players can smell a fraud a mile away. And if you're going to try to be, I relate to you, I understand you, and you don't, that's actually the worst thing to do. The best thing to do is be like, I don't understand the locker room. I'll let the leaders handle it. I'm good. I've got man beaters, uh, you know, in my lab right now, and I'm just gonna, I'm just yeah. gonna draw up some plays, and, and we'll go from there. Like that's the second best thing to do. The best thing to do is obviously be authentic, but the worst thing to do is be a fake players coach. And it doesn't sound like Dan Campbell is that. I want to ask you about the Ben Johnson thing because there's some reports now that this could hurt him in the future that he pulled out of the search at the last second or that uh, he sets his price artificially high. Let's say, okay, so you're a decision maker. You need a head coaching job next year. Do you consider Ben Johnson? Because I, I think you do. I think there's reasons he's staying. And also, by the way, like, it didn't work, but Josh McDaniel's got another chance, and he did the, the Colts much dirtier than the commanders got done this time. Yeah. So um, you, if you're just viewing that from 35,000 feet, you think what, Thomas? Look, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. No offense to the people that are reporting that, <laughs> that they wouldn't go after this guy who's right. the hottest item out there. And even if he did rub someone the wrong way, or even if his agent did put out the $15 million deal, my feeling is just like any of the players in the past who had an issue of people say, oh, I would never go after yeah, that yeah. guy. And all of a sudden you have one of the top notch people available. You're darn right. You dig into that. You address the issue. And quite honestly, all you need is for Ben to say, yeah, I would have probably approached yeah, that yeah, a little yeah. differently. And they'll go, fine, that's fine. <laughs> Sign yeah, off yeah. and let's go forward. Right. I, He's going to get be a big, you know, big time player in this league as a coach. In my mind, it's in the next time. It's it's not it's not going to be burning bridges. Yeah. There might be the odd person who says, "I need to dig in deeper." That's what I'm saying, but they're not avoiding them for that. Last thing on this topic, I I'm shocked no one said to Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, Mike Frable, and again, I know I understand the Adam Peters show and all that stuff, but I'm surprised nobody said to to Bill, "You're the best coach of all time, not the best GM of all time." take our 53-man roster that we give you, maximize the roster. I felt like, I don't know Bill, you know Bill, um, I felt like that might be an opportunity he would jump at. I don't think he wanted to do the Patriot, I think he did probably want to do some version of the Patriot way wherever he went, but it's not like he was going to say, I'm bringing all my scouts, I'm bringing all my, I'm bringing my guys. I think he would have fit in structure. Are you surprised, and we'll lead with Bill, but then all of the, 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 Three of the best coaches of all time. Vrabel is is different, but um, I was going to include Saban in that because I would have called Saban, by the way. Um, but that two of the best coaches in modern NFL history are on the sideline, and Mike Vrabel. Blown away. I mean, to me, to, yeah. along with what you're saying, never in my mind in the history of this game, and I'm being I'm being exaggerative here, but I believe it. Or never will this general manager group that's in place or the owners in place have an opportunity to pick the best coach in the history of this game. Usually that person retires in his organization. That he's available and that he is not in a head coaching spot to me is unfathomable. Now, that said, to your point, some teams just don't want a person to come in and they're just not ready. They want the Super Bowl, but they're just not ready to turn it all over. And to your point, I don't believe in any way Bill Belichick was going to come into Atlanta or other teams and come in there and say, Terry Fontenot, you're yeah. gone. I want only my scouts. Yeah. I don't, he might have. He'd have his proper pieces. Anytime you're building a team, right, you want your, your guys, whether Josh comes in, I could imagine, and, and, and um, you know, Bears and Jerry, and those guys yeah, are all yeah. coming in. Who was going to be his personnel guy or his, his whatever they called him? Was it going to be Scott Pioli? Was it going to be right. John Robinson? Who might it have been in that spot? Who knows? Of course, you have to give one of the best coaches ever or the best coach ever the ability to do that. There's no other guy that should do it. I'm not saying 
that Mike Vrabel should get that free. I like Mike. I think Mike is a good, very good football coach, but I don't think he deserves to go in there and uproot everything. I think when you're hiring Bill Belichick, you have to expect that. All right, so let's go through. You and I spoke after the Matt Ryan extension in 2017, something like that, and 2018 maybe, and we joked, and, and you, you said essentially that you, Matt Ryan was the first $30 million a year quarterback, and you we joked a little bit about how quickly that would become a bargain. The answer was very, right. very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, um, right. But you also talked about how you just getting the deal done is more advantageous than fighting over a million dollars, two million dollars, whatever it may be. And the, you can, and I always think about this all the time. You said that you you can feel when you don't have a quarterback in the building everywhere. Mm. It just weighs oh. on everybody. When are we going to find the quarterback? And having one is is a luxury that you're okay paying the price for. Um, we're getting into a cycle now, kind of like where we were in 2015, 16, 17, 18, where the next guy who comes up seems like he's always being the highest paid. Now, there's some amazing quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Mahomes obviously setting the market. But there's some questions here. A guy like Jared Goff, great example. Um, what do you do with a guy like Jared Goff, quarterback pay-wise, because he's going to get an extension? The reports are they're going to make him one of the highest paid players in football. But like When you're sitting there, do you say, gee, we built this infrastructure for him, maybe we play hardball, or do you say, sign Jared Goff, figure the rest out later? Look, I think Jared Goff has done really good things for that organization, of course, for, for Brad Holmes. I mean, kudos to him, right? There was a lot, there were a lot of darts thrown early on. I look at, look at him and I'm thinking, you have to be market value for, with him, of course. Right. I don't think you can be held to, you know, you have to be smart about how far you go there. You can look that agent and Jared in the eyes and say, look, we want you here and here's our number. I don't think you go overboard on it, far from that, because, you know, how old, and those things can end quite quickly. Yeah. We know that. Um, so it's not like he's in the prime of his career. I'm really impressed with what he's done. I have yeah. to raise my hand. I wasn't expecting that. Nor was I. So, but, but when you start talking about that, and then you start contrasting that with, you know, where you are with Jordan Love, I mean, yeah. is Jordan Love worthy uh, of $55 million? Is that where we think we're going with him? Wow. I, I like what he's doing, but what if what if he comes back next year and there was an anomaly or an anomalous yeah. element, and yeah. he's not where we thought he's he was? He's on a hell of a run right now, but that doesn't. There's That's a right. lot of guys who are, have been on a hell of a run for four and five years. I feel like I, I love Jordan Love, and I love Matt Lafleur. I love what they mm -hmm. have they developed of him. It's funny. I was on a Chicago show yesterday, and they said, "Is Jordan Love a top ten quarterback?" And I said, "Guys, no one again love Jordan Love." But no one overrates Jordan Love more than Bears fans who are just have PTSD and they're going, oh, my God, it happened again. It happened again yeah. with the Packers. Um, and so I thought that was funny. I do not yet think Jordan Love is a top ten quarterback, but I agree. What do you do with the quarterback? I mean, you wonder, there is no middle class of quarterback pay. No. There, it doesn't exist. And I wonder, is there a mechanism to do it? Would, would agents even accept it or would they try to get? I mean, the problem is. No quarterback reaches true free agency. No one quarterback yeah. like that. Dak Prescott could potentially do it, but he'll probably sign an extension for maybe even over $60 million a year when you consider yeah. what kind of leverage he'd have. It seems like the horse is out of the barn, and there's really no mechanism for a quote-unquote middle-class quarterback contract anymore. No, and, and look, I'm, I sit there and I think about Kirk Cousins, not yep. to jump around, but that's a tough – let's just say you're the Atlanta Falcons and, and Bill, you know, you, yeah. you heard that. Whether If Bill's coming in and you want to capitalize on a potential Super Bowl as quickly as possible, but you also want to go at eight or six, 
if you're going to move up and draft a quarterback this year and do the Packers approach, which could be the way. It seems yeah, like sure. maybe we're moving in that direction. Do you invest? What do you invest in Kirk Cousins? Yeah. Worried? I mean, I'm worried. I, I love his toughness. But, you know, he has an injury. How does he come back? And are you putting that money down? That's not an easy spot to be in as a general manager where you're putting yourself on the line with the owner and saying, $45 million or whatever that yeah, is. Yeah. Wow, those are big decisions to make. I mean, my feeling is, and I've said this before, you shut the door with the GM play caller, shut the door, and they say, how many guys can you do this with? And if the answer is 20, pay them like yeah. that. If the yeah. answer is five, you pay them like that. Yeah. I want to ask about the Jordan Love thing, because you brought up an interesting part, and part of it's ownership, I think. I think the reason there's not a lot of patience with quarterbacks and kind of stash and develop, take best mm. player available, let your starter play for three more years. I think it is ownership. I think the fact that the Packers have been so patient at the quarterback position and they, they don't have an owner, I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, can you speak to, A, why teams don't have more patience with quarterbacks as far as three-year plans, four-year plans, mm. and B, how much of it is owner saying, what's the plan? We need to have this guy installed by week 10. I mean, it just seems like not it used to be a guy would sit for two years and I was 20 years ago, then it was sit for one year. And now, I mean, I don't, we don't, teams don't even fake. Remember it used to be like, oh, they would always sign like, you know, the Ryan Fitzpatrick to play September and then they bench him for October. Yes. Nowadays it's like, this guy starts week one. And I don't, I understand they're more developed coming from college and the offenses in college are more in line with the NFL. But like, I just think it's, it's, it's a lack of patience that then ends up hurting the quarterback in the long run. Why don't more teams do it the Green Bay way? That's a great point because, uh, you know, I think there's that, again, not for long element. When you're a head coach and a general manager and you're kicking off your time or you've, you're a little bit hot, right, or a lot hot, all you're thinking about is I need to get to the survival state here. Yeah. I need to win games and I need to be on the other side of 500, right, right. which is which gets me keeps me in the discussion. I mean, would Arthur Smith have survived this year if – well, A, if he would have picked a different quarterback. But even that, even some of those losses, they could have been on the other side of 500. I think he would have st still been in Atlanta. Wow. No, that's a great point. It's like the, just getting to nine wins now saves your yeah. job. So if, if, it's, if there's a high variance thing where it's like, well, we might win 12, but yeah. we could win three, yeah. coaches are going to take the nine. They're going to take the nine. They're going to say, this gives me another opportunity for an owner to go, okay. <laughs> and I've been there, believe me. I mean, Arthur Blank is one of the most competitive owners out there. And he is a two-year, three-year guy. I mean, yeah. he, gave, he gives us all yeah. two years. And then in that third year, if you're, if you're flailing, we got fired, you know, myself and Dan Quinn early in that 20-year yeah, yeah. was the first quarter. Arthur, you know, Smith lasted, you know, entire time. And that was probably because they were giving him an opportunity to grow, right? Because they were calling it cap hell. Blaming it on TD, which there's a lot of layers to that. I won't even – maybe I'll bring that out in my book when you and I do a book one day. Okay. But. <laughs> um, I, I have to ask, and this is not about the Falcons, but when you see a team that's clearly going for the nine wins, because I always joke, and yeah. somebody told me this early in, the, in, in my career covering the NFL, but it's a bunch of teams that aren't trying to win the Super Bowl. A lot. Right. Is there – when you're just sitting at ESPN and you see a couple moves going, you know, watching watching the transactions ticker and you say, this team is just trying to get to nine wins, what's an example of those moves to get to mediocrity? To get to mediocrity? To, to, to get, if someone's just trying to save their job, how does that team operate in the offseason? You know, do they sign more mid-tier veterans, just kind of, you know, throwing throwing stuff against the wall? How, how do, What's an example of a team uh, just – generically of a team trying to get to nine wins yeah Michael, hey, Michael. It, it's to me it's it's it has to do with making sure that you have some of the you know it's the veteran it's the veteran yeah. thing for me it's it's making that coach feel comfortable that he doesn't have to 
develop players necessarily and that we can get to this spot, we'll, we'll pay a little bit of money for it and we'll get to that, that area and then we'll continue to think about how we're going to develop. Look, to me there are lazy coaches out there that just don't have it in them to develop the young players and they're worried about the time frame. So that's what I would think more than anything. It is about making sure that they're sprinkling in the right veteran talent that they think can take, take them to the spot. Did they do that in Atlanta? I only use that as an example. Yeah. Calais Campbell, what did you think about that signing? Did you think it was going to work out as it did? I mean, it worked out pretty darn yeah. well. It did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. It's a I mean, high character guy. Yeah. It, it's, I, I thought, yeah, that that was a good idea. More with Thomas after a break. Why should you bet with Caesar Sportsbook? Two words. Caesar's rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesar's can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just an app. It's an empire. 21 and up must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. So we do something called badasses. I think we've yeah. done it before. Um, most badass person you've ever been around. Uh, and I'm curious, I want to stick to um, uh, you know, somebody you've scouted, let's say somebody you scouted that you didn't, uh, didn't end up drafting or didn't play. Like a, a guy, I wouldn't say one who got away, but you just ended up scouting him, you fell in love with him, and you never ended up working with him in any genre. Who's the badass you think of when you think about that? A player where you just fell in love with the scouting board, he did every single thing right, and you weren't able to get him. Well, it, it, it was a guy that we probably could have gotten, and we took, I think it was Perret Jerry instead, Perret Jerry, which, yeah, which is Jerry. crazy, and it was Clay Matthews. Yeah. I mean, we overanalyzed that one because he was a one-year starter, and he had, you know, yeah. but Clay Matthews was a tough ass, and there was everything about him that I really valued, and after the fact, I'm thinking, we could have finally had the pass rusher <laughs> that I wanted to be around, and we didn't. So that's one that sticks out in my mind. What did Clay Matthews do well in the scouting report that stood out? He just had natural ability to get up and around the corner. Yeah. He was an athlete who had size. I'm a big believer in athleticism. And athleticism is more than just jumping high and running fast, of course. It's about body control. It's about bending. It's about recovery. It's about agility. It's about reactive athleticism. Yeah, yeah. And I thought he had that at so many levels. I remember talking to our coaches about it at that time, the last thing. And we were saying that he wasn't really a fit for our scheme. And I thought, oh my gosh! And so, and and that's not a that's not a a, a dig in any way towards Mike Smith and our, our, that was no. me as a general manager who probably should have pushed back and said, hey, 
maybe he's not the exact fit, but we can make the most out of this guy. As has been said many times, if, he's, if a great player is not a scheme fit, change the scheme. <laughs> That's a great point. Love Thomas Dimitrov, thanks so As much, always. man. Appreciate yeah, brother, you. Thank you.